Deborah Lynn Bowman was a 40-year-old from Largo, Florida. She was a mother and had a stroke at the age of 35 that left her unable to talk. On May 26, 2004, her landlord took Deborah to the hospital due to a back problem. Three hours later, Deborah called to be picked up. When the landlord arrived, Deborah wasn't there. She was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. Over the last four years, and even before that, I've gotten to visit several locations of disappearances we've covered on Unfound, and even at least one that we haven't covered yet. Before I even started Unfound, I lived in Las Vegas when Stephen Kocher disappeared. I walked the evening lights street, I went to each and every cell phone tower his phone signal bounced off of, I even took part in a search. I've been to the location where Lacey Buenfield disappeared, near Ocala, Florida. I visited some of the places where she was seen on the day of her disappearance. In July 2019, I went to Canadian, Texas, where I stood on the spot where Tom Brown's Durango was found. In the summer of 2018, I went to Avonmore, Pennsylvania, and went to the dirt road where Al Copper's car was found. As for a disappearance we have not covered yet, In 2017, I went to the back road where Sherry Mahan disappeared from Cabot, Pennsylvania. In fact, I got to speak to a guy who was on the school bus with her that day. Yet, I'm not sure any of those have the emotional impact of passing the condo where Kelly Rothwell lived. It's right down the street from me in Indian Rocks Beach. I go by that building all the time. In addition... I drive by the spot where her car was found, at least a couple days a week. Going by those areas as often as I do adds an additional layer of reality and somberness to her case. Well, it seems I will be feeling that way even more, now that today Unfound is covering the disappearance of Deborah Bowman, a woman who had mostly recovered from a stroke, but was still fighting the other effects it had on her life. Then she was gone. And we're left to figure out what happened, right down the street from me, in my town. And now a summary of the case. Deborah Bowman never graduated high school. She got pregnant, then married, and ended up having a couple of children. However, the marriage didn't last, and Deborah got divorced. She then took on a variety of jobs to make ends meet, including housekeeper, and stripper. Deborah also moved around quite a bit during this time. However, despite the divorce, her ex-husband would allow her to stay at his place once in a while so Deborah could see her children. Then at the age of 35, Deborah had a stroke. She made somewhat of a recovery. However, Deborah's speech never quite came back, and she had to use a pen and paper 
to communicate complex thoughts. Because of this, Deborah started to receive Social Security checks since she had no way to get a job. So on May 26, 2004, Deborah was living with a friend of the family, Betty, and some of Betty's own family. Deborah had been doing so since approximately the beginning of the year. On that day, Deborah had back problems. Because of this, Betty drove her to the Largo Medical Center, only a little over a mile away. Deborah had been there before. Three hours later, at about 11.20 p.m., Deborah called, and using the only words she could, she said she was ready to come home. Betty and someone else went to pick Deborah up. However, when they got there, Deborah was nowhere to be found. She was never seen again. Deborah's disappearance is similar to two cases we've already covered on Unfound, both in which people called for rides then weren't there when someone showed up. One of them is solved, Crystal Morrison. One is unsolved, Shane Fell. However, Deborah's has its own set of questions that still need answered. Number one, why did Betty never say whether she drove around to find Deborah or even talked to hospital staff on the night Deborah disappeared? Number two, why did Betty wait two weeks before letting Deborah's family know she was missing? And number three, are we to believe someone who was encountered during a search who said that Deborah was staying with a local drug dealer after the disappearance date? Deborah's family is not sure what to think regarding her disappearance. However, they find it hard to believe that Betty could be responsible for it. The guest for this episode is Deborah's sister, Joe Bowman. Unfound News The fifth unfound on the ground for premium Patreon members occurred this past Monday. It was a great discussion on accuracy and controversy in reporting of disappearance cases. If you'd like to partake in the on the ground and think tank and a bunch of other stuff, please become a Patreon member at patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. Next, October 1st was yesterday. You know what that means, don't you? The unfound newsletter came out. Did you get it? If not, Get on the email list by contacting me at unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. Finally, next Friday we'll be doing something new on Unfound. We'll have two separate interviews that will be intertwined to make one interview. This is in an effort to give all of you the most comprehensive coverage for that particular disappearance. Once again, next Friday where you can find Unfound. Unfound supports accounts on Podomatic, iTunes, Stitcher, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, Deezer, Facebook, and YouTube. Speaking of YouTube, on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, please join us on our podcast channel for the Unfound live show. All of you can talk with me, and I can answer your questions. Contribute to Unfound at patreon.com forward slash unfoundpodcast. You can also contribute to PayPal, paypal.me forward slash unfoundpodcast. And do not forget the website, theunfoundpodcast.com. A note before the interview begins. 
In some databases and articles, Deborah Bowman is also called Deborah Booth. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound the sister of Deborah Booth, Joe Bowman. Joe, welcome to Unfound. Uh, very happy to have you on the program today, Joe, and everybody should know that uh, Joe is a resident uh, right here in Pinellas County, uh, where I live, and this is a disappearance that I have to admit is a little personal to me because this area in which Deborah disappeared, I go by all the time, so it feels very personal uh, to me, Joe, and so I really appreciate you joining me on this episode. I really appreciate it myself. Okay, well, you're welcome. Let's talk about your family. Uh, jo, uh, Deborah is your sister. How many siblings uh, do you have? Um, uh, was she the oldest, youngest? Maybe you can give the listeners a little bit of insight uh, into that to start. Well, there's nine of us all together, seven girls and three boys, and she's the fourth oldest. Wow. That's a lot of kids, Joe. A lot of kids. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. Okay, and uh, what are the age? <clears throat> I'd never ask you to go through all the ages, but the oldest to the youngest, how many years separate all nine kids? Um, or ten kids, six, I should say. Yeah. Okay, the oldest one's 65, then we have a 63, 58, 57, no, 56, that would be her. Uh -huh. um, then there's... Uh, the, the, Rest of them, I don't know. Okay, and the youngest, how old is <laughs> the youngest one? Down to the, the youngest one, I believe he is like 47. All right. 48. All right, so, like about, so about 20 years separation between the yes. oldest and the youngest. Oh, yeah, about that. Oh, my, that is, that is uh, crazy. What was it like being in that house with all these kids running around, Joe? Very busy, crazy, uh -huh. so, yeah. Okay. We grew up with a single mother. So. Oh my gosh! It was that. If I can ask, was that right here in uh, Pinellas County, or was that somewhere else? It was right here in Pinellas County, Largo, Florida. Largo, and what high school did you all go to? Largo High School. Largo, which uh, is a very interesting to me because my brother's wife used to be a vice principal there. That's this is very. Uh, interesting. In fact, I'm sure maybe some of your siblings even know her because she's uh, she retired just a few years ago. So uh, we can talk that about that. Maybe a possibility, but I'm not really for sure mm -hmm. um, with the younger ones because right. I know a lot of them didn't go to high school. So. Right. Okay. Well, that's great, man. All those kids. Okay. And your mother was a single mother, and I, I was uh, Deborah older or younger than you are, if you can say. Younger than me. Younger than you. Okay. And what kind of relationship would you say that you had with your younger sister, Deborah? Were you close? Um, did all the other kids, uh, you know, the, your other brothers and sisters, uh, you know, get in the way of you two being close, being that you were, were so many of you? Or how would you explain it? No, we were very close. I was older than the five youngest ones, so I always worked and helped take care of them. So, Pretty close together. Pretty close. The five okay. youngest ones, yeah. Okay. And so you and Joe were close. Um, how many how many years between you two? Uh, 
there's uh, three years between us. Just three years. All right. So when you were 20, she was 17. When you were 17, she was 14. So, yes, very close. All right. So um, let's move on to this. We have a big family, single mother. Let's talk about uh, Deborah in particular. What you remember about her going back maybe to, you know, teenage years into high school. Um, what were, what was she into? What were her interests and things like that? Um, I don't think, I do not think she went to high school. She quit school very young. Huh. She had her first child when she was 17. Um, she got married and had three more children. Um, so she was a stay-at-home mom at a very young age. And then when she had her son, which is her first son, 17 when she had him, she was diagnosed with um, lupus. Wow. Was that something that, if you can say, runs in your family, or was that just uh, just a one-off? She's the only one that had it. Only one. Huh. Okay. So she had this, and it sounds like she had to grow up fairly quickly, having uh, children that, that young. Yeah, she yeah, okay. Oh, what kind of mother uh, was she? Very good mother. She's very close with her children. Yeah? Would you say that yeah. she was more of a laid-back mother or more of a, a disciplinarian, the, the way you remember it? If you know. uh, My mother, very, always doing things with them and always, you know, very close with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say laid-back, easygoing. Okay. And did she uh, work, being that she dropped out of high school, had children, but you said she was a stay-at-home mother? Well, when her youngest two got a little bit older, she split up with her husband. Okay. Um, started dating another gentleman, and then before she dated him, she had her own cleaning service, and then she also did a little stripping there for a while at a strip club in Clearwater Mall. Yeah, Clearwater. Okay. So that didn't last very long, and then she did her own cleaning up until she had a stroke. All right, and we're certainly going to talk about that for sure. So what years are we talking? She had her first, if she was 17, what year would that have been uh, that she had her uh, – she can do well, the math. I am not good, <laughs> I am not good at that. Um, I'd have to have a calculator and finally figure that one out. I know she was 17, and uh, she had a baby before I did. Her old son was before my daughter, older than my daughter that I had. Okay. Um, my daughter's 37. I think she was 39. Okay. And the the father of her children, you said they got married, but uh, didn't stick. They got they eventually had to split up. Um. Yeah, they ended up splitting up and divorcing, but the father still lived in the same house that they were married, and all four children were born and raised in the same house. Okay. All right. All right, so she's a mother, uh, and then at some point she has other children, and the marriage falls apart. Um, you know, how do you, how do you think uh, Deborah handled all of this? That part she handled pretty good, and um, she's started working as a stripper, like I said, that lasted a little bit, and then she met a guy, fell, fell in love with him, and when she moved into her own home, and that's when she started her own cleaning service, so she was doing that, and then shortly after, she had a stroke, 
and then after she had the stroke, she couldn't do anything because it, it affected her speech. So, mm. but her kids were still very involved with her and um, would always come to her house and stay, and then she'd take them back to their dad's house and, you know, back and forth. Right. So, okay. uh, breaking up with a boyfriend really affected her a lot more than splitting up with her husband. Okay. And we have to remember what she went missing. Uh, of course, it was 2004, and she was 40 years old. Um, let's talk about this uh, stroke uh, a little bit, being that you've brought it up. Uh, what year did that happen? How old was she? Uh, I would say mid-30s. So approximately like about 1999. 1998, 19, yes. about 35 years old. She had already had a stroke when our mother died, so yeah. Okay. Do you think that that was brought on by anything in particular? But of course, we we hear about strokes being brought on by stress or maybe other physical issues. You said she had lupus. Was lupus a factor in that, or what do you think? Well, they never did say if lupus had a factor in it. Um, mm-hmm. I do know she was under a lot of stress, and um, she's never been a drinker. She smoked a lot. Um, mm-hmm. She just had a stroke one morning laying in bed and had laid there all day in a stroke until her youngest son came in from school oh and found her. Oh, my God. So, so she, and couldn't, she was in middle school at that time. So she was there and she couldn't move. Yes, she couldn't move. So she was like awake, conscious, but just like in a frozen state of some type. A frozen state, yes, and all she could do was moan. Oh my and god! And that's how he heard her and went in there. And he found her and then called his father, and then they called the ambulance. And the father went down to the hospital with, uh, and met with them there. Okay, so this would have been when. She was just uh, living by herself with her kids, no boyfriend, yes. no husband around? No boyfriend. She had her whole house by herself. Yeah. Okay. Um, what I And I, you said that she lost her speech because of this. Yes. She communicated. She could say very few words, um, mm-hmm. but she communicated with writing everything down in a tablet. How long did, uh, of course, uh, even at the time of her disappearance, five years later, uh, she was still communicating like that, but she did get back her physical abilities, walking, uh, other yes, things? Yeah, she, she could walk and she could do everything else. Um, it only, the speech never came back um, fully, correct, you know, full mm. capacity. I've heard that. I don't. I don't personally know uh, anybody close who had a stroke necessarily like that. But I've heard, of course, that uh, the strokes can affect the speech area of the brain very prominently. You know, it seems to be a very common um, thing. So maybe we shouldn't be surprised by that. How did she handle that mentally, emotionally? How did she handle uh, having the stroke and then the recovery and, and all of that? Well, she was very depressed at first, and um, living in her home by herself, we had to box everything up, and I moved her up to my house, so she stayed with me and my sister in Tarpon Springs, Mm. between the two houses, Mm -hmm. and then she ended up moving back to Largo, eventually. uh, So she lived with you for a while, was that her choice, to move back? And everybody should know Tarpon Springs is north of North Pinellas County. Largo is kind of in the central area, I guess, of the county. Uh, was it her decision yes. to move back to Largo and live by herself, or, or how did that happen? 
it was her decision and because she couldn't take care of herself there by herself, you know, having the strokes, she it just made her more depressed. Mm-hmm. And she felt like she couldn't do nothing for herself at the time. So with her not being able to work at all, um, me and my other older sister, we packed her up and moved her up this way closer to us. Mm-hmm. So then I lived on uh, Carolina Avenue. No, wait, I lived in, and I lived in Tarpon off Coster, and the other one lived on Carolina Avenue, so. Okay. But then she moved, you said, back to the Largo area. Uh, what brought that on? Um, She was more familiar with that area, and um, mm-hmm. she wanted to be closer to her kids, because that's where they live, is in Largo. They so were, she moved back away. They were living with Close. their father? Yes. Okay. All right, and what was she – did she get some sort of a disability money or something like that that allowed her to live on her own or rent from somebody? Is that what happened? Yes, she, she was on disability, and um, that's what she got every month with her disability check. Mm-hmm. So she was able to at least pay someone to let her stay with them, and I do believe she got food stamps to help mm-hmm. her out. Okay. And once again, how did she handle all of this? What did she do with her time uh, when she was with you? Um, how did she spend, being that she wasn't working and, uh, you know, frankly couldn't talk, how did she pass the time? She slept a lot. Okay. She wanted to sleep all the time. Um, she's always been a tired person, I guess, with the lupus. I'm thinking that had part of to do with it. But she always slept and she was always cold, so she always was in a big jacket and wrapped up with a blanket. She always stayed cold. Always cold. So she wanted to sleep all the time. Okay. Always cold even here in Florida. Yes. Okay. Always. Okay. All right. And what year would you say, once again, just a guess, what year would you say that she uh, left uh, your place to go back living in the Largo area? Can you even approximate that as far as a time? Uh, probably within the year. After, like I would two, say. 2000? Well, she left my house. I lived in, um, I forgot the name of the street I lived on in Trentwood. But then she went over and stayed with my older sister because I still had kids at home. Mm-hmm. My sister had no children, so she went there and stayed with her um, for a short while and then eventually moved back to Largo. I'd say within a year, she moved back, so closer to 2000. All right, so even a, a year after she had had this stroke, and I'm guessing she had to do some physical therapy and all of that to get her motor, yeah, she, mo- motor function? She never or? followed. Yeah, she never followed up with any of that stuff. Hmm. She would argue and, you know, mumbling to us and telling us no. She didn't want to follow up with any of it. And you had to do something, you know. You've got to yeah. practice this. And, but I think it's just more or less just through in a state of mind that she – was helpless and didn't want to do anything. So yeah, but she did though. End up le- learn to walk again. I guess that's the way I would put it. I'm just a layman. I'm not yeah. a doctor. She learned to walk again though and lift things and you know, she, unlike being frozen when she it first occurred. Yes, she did that before she even came out of the hospital. She was in mm-hmm. a hospital for like two weeks. Um, so she did mm-hmm. end up. She was able to walk. Okay. It's just a speech. Okay. 
before she disappeared in those next five years, did she ever have any relapses or anything like that that you know of? No, not that I know of. Okay. All right, so she moves back to uh, the Largo area because she wants to be closer to her kids. And this is not the, the final place when she, where she was living, though, correct? Correct. Okay. All right. So she, did she just live in a few places before she ended up on New York Avenue, or how do you remember it? Um, after, I forgot, there was one more guy after the boyfriend she split up with that she lived off of Keene, I think it was, out there, somewhere, Largo. Um, then she moved in with Betty, because she lost her place out there. Mm -hmm. But, um, living with Betty, I think that's the only place I've known she lived, and she would always go to her husband's, ex-husband's house, and sleep on the couch there and he mm. he let her do it because he felt bad for her so yeah. she was able to come freely in and out of her at his house mm. if she needed something to eat or something even to take a shower or to just lay down on the couch and go to sleep so he always left her you know gave her that option she could all and she'd be there closer to the kids right so. Right. How do you think her kids handled her her stroke and her not being, you know, being able to talk? Um, they took it pretty hard. Yeah. Um, uh, they took it pretty hard, and then wonder why, you know, why this happened. But um, yeah, they dealt with it, I guess. You know. Yeah. So they were still young, kind of young. They three, the two younger ones. Mm hmm. So how did you communicate with her? If she couldn't talk, to, uh, you know, early 2000s, I didn't get a cell phone to 2003, but how did you uh, communicate with her since she, she couldn't talk? Did you see her? Did you go down to see her or did you text um, would, back and forth or something or what? We would um, – house phones. Um, we'd have a house phone. Mm -hmm. um, she'd always call and check in though, and I'd be like, what are you doing? And like I said, she could say a few words, just not – it was more of a – you know, mm. uh, but you knew, I knew she was okay, you know, she was alive, you know, but mm. until she went missing, and then I get a phone call from the people she lived with. Right. Yeah, and just, you know, uh, we maybe kind of look past that, maybe with days with these cell phones these days, with texting and everything, if somebody does have a speech problem, they can just text back and forth, but That's back true. then, you know, back then in early 2000s, I don't think that was quite a thing yet. And, no, she didn't have a cell phone. Yeah, no. so I was just wondering, and of course I know people, uh, you know, who are deaf, you know, they have special phones that will type up the messages. I can think of that as a little bit older technology, yeah. but so I was just wondering how you would co communicate with her, um, you know, if she couldn't speak. But you say you somehow figured it out. Yeah, we it's more of a guessing game. Like yeah. ask her a question and try to figure out how she's trying to answer you. Right. Okay. Other than, uh, of course, we have these uh, these health issues. Did she have anything else going on? Any addictions? Did she was she ever into uh, drugs? Whether you know an addiction to a legal drug or illegal, anything like that? I did hear at one time she was into drugs mm -hmm. um, for a short while. Didn't last very long until her and him split up, and then she wasn't in it no more. And I knew this because they. He would drive, and they would come by my house, and uh, I kept telling her he's not good for her. But that didn't last very long. Um, 
they split up. Okay. okay. All right. And in your in your opinion, once again, I realize you have your own life to live. She's your sister. You care about her. She has some physical issues that you're concerned about, but it's not necessarily your job. You took care of her for a while. But, um, you know, do you think this, these things may be any drug or any issues like this were going on at the time of her disappearance? Once again, to the best of your knowledge. No, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, any mental issues that you could speak of? Uh, depression, bipolar uh, condition, anything like that? You, you said, uh, you know, I, I think that my personal self, if I were to have a stroke, of course, you know, for my program, I have to use my voice. I know that would greatly affect me. Um, how did it, you know, overall, how did it affect her? Um, stress. She was stressed out over it. Because okay. she would get frustrated when she'd be trying to talk to you and nobody finished, you know, wasn't getting it. And then she'd grab her pad out and start writing it down. And, and she would just get so aggravated with it. So, yeah, I would say she's very stressed over it. Right. Okay. Of course. Okay. So she's dealing with uh, a lot of things here. It sounds to me like, you know, her life changed very quickly, Joe. Yeah. You know, going, and I think anybody maybe that is suffered a stroke or a brain aneurysm or a heart attack, you know, and, and of course survives, uh, their lives change forever, you know, whether it's medication or being able to, not able to do things they used to do. Okay, but she was getting uh, some money where she could pay for some things, pay for food, live somewhere, and how was she living, finding, we'll get into the specific living conditions she was at um, before she disappeared, but these other living conditions... Uh, you said that she would stay with her, you know, ex-husband once in a while. But these other places, how would she find them online or friends of friends? Any ideas? I think, she, yeah, I think she just stayed with friends. Okay. Well, I don't nice. think she rented anything uh, other. We moved her out of St. Pete. I don't think she lived in, on her own anymore after that. Okay. So. All right. So let's uh, now let's talk about where she was living. Of course, she disappeared. Uh, in 2004, May of 2004, and she ended up living the the li the place she was living at at the time of her disappearance. Uh, once again, is not very far uh, from where I live right now. But uh, how did she find this living situation? Why did she Why did she move out from wherever she was? If If you know that information, please let the listeners know about that now. Um. I left home at a very young age. I think I was like 17 and a half years old. So the younger ones knew this others named Bay. So that's how she met her. And the younger siblings know Betty and her family a lot better than I knew Betty. I didn't meet mm. Betty until after I got a phone call telling me that she had disappeared and did mm. not come home and they were looking for her. So she knew Betty from through my mother, okay. and my mother used to live on the same street, just down a little bit on the right side, and Betty lived on the left side of the street, so mm -hmm. that's how my mom knew Betty. And then my sister Deborah knew Betty, so she ended up staying there. Um, I guess she knew De um, Betty's son, I guess she has a couple of sons, and... Um, 
that's how she ended up there. So okay. she had a lot of stuff stored in a car that sat on the empty lot next to the house there. While my sister's stuff was stored there, and she paid to live and sleep in the back bedroom. At Betty's. Of the house. At Betty's house. Yeah. Okay. And so I guess it sounds to me like um, Deborah's looking for a new place to stay, and this just kind of all, you know, came together. Yes. Uh, Betty has a, a bedroom in the back. Maybe uh, you know Deborah's going to give her uh, a couple dollars to stay there, and probably not charging her a lot. I'm guessing, but it's friend of the family doing Deborah, who obviously obviously has some um, rough things going on. Have her move in there, and this would be a good place because Betty was a friend of the family. Yes. And everybody felt pretty good about that. Uh, at the time, yes. At the time, yes, of course. And maybe looking back now, uh, maybe there's some things there that maybe people should have been concerned about. But at the time, um, it seemed like a good idea. And the way you remember it, uh, how long was Deborah living there before she disappeared? Best uh, guess. I, I probably at least six months, I would say. Okay. And during that time, being that you were speaking to uh, Deborah, uh, you're still living living in Pinellas County also, although not in Largo. Um, would you say that uh, Deborah enjoyed living there? Did she think it was a good situation? What did she tell you about it? Uh, she never talked about it. Actually. She never talked about it? No. She never talked about it with you or seemingly any of your other siblings or even your mother uh, about it? I, well, our mother had passed away. Oh, okay. I had already passed away in 99. Oh, okay. 98, 99. Okay. So... Like I said, she had already had a stroke before my mother died, mm -hmm. okay. or right, something like that. So anyway, um, only way I know she lived there and she'd been there for a while was her, her sons and her daughter. They mm -hmm. knew their mom would stay in there. So I would say with like six months or so, she was there. And the kids are what they actually told me. Yeah, my mom's been staying there. And um, mm -hmm. my younger siblings called the woman and man, grandma and papa. Pop. Oh, wow. So that's how well they knew her. I didn't know them. Yeah, no. okay. But still, you, you knew she was living somewhere, and during the course of 2004, before she disappeared, if you did have a conversation with her, she never said anything bad like, man, I don't like living at Betty's. This is bothering no. me. That Nothing like that. Nothing. Okay. All right. So she was living there. We're going to – I'm just going to – Say for all of 2004, maybe back even into 2003, we're not quite um, uh, sure about that. And the listeners should know that I will be doing a YouTube video to at least um, explain uh, where Deborah was living at the time and where she disappeared from so all of you uh, can understand that. So okay. Betty's a friend of the family. Uh, we know now um, – Kind of how long that Deborah was living there. We know that Betty's other people in her family were living there. Any idea how many people were living under that roof on New York Avenue? I understood when I came visit her with her, it was her, her husband, and her granddaughter at the time. All right, so just four of them then? Yes. All right. Okay. And overall, uh, once again, now we're getting very close to when she disappeared, May of 2004. Do you think that there was anything 
uh, going on in Deborah's life that was now that you look back now and you're thinking, well, you know, that's uh, maybe that should have uh, caught my attention back at the time, or any any of your siblings or anybody, you know, now look back at it 16 years later and say maybe there's something that should have raised our eyebrow at the time, anything that seemed unusual, you know, getting close to the time of her disappearance, anything. Anything that I might have thought about? Yeah, you know, anything um, that maybe you just took for granted at the time before she disappeared, then afterwards, you're like, well, that maybe there was something going on. There may be something that Deborah said or, or anything like that. Well, you know, I just don't know if she actually I, – I can only go by what I heard uh, from people that mm-hmm. she wasn't hanging around with a good crowd, and mm-hmm. I was not comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I heard she – hung around with a girl that was a prostitute and then her, you know, some other people that are drug dealers. Um, I was not comfortable with that, but at this time when I found out all this information, she had already been missing. Yeah. And I had to start asking questions is how I found out about all that. Right. So, but nothing, well, once again, nothing that you were aware of, of course, before she went missing that, Maybe you kind of, frankly, just kind of blew it off. Then after she was missing, just like no, you know, you know, when retro, you know, we've all been in that situation where something happens. You know, you think something's weird, and you just kind of let it go, and then something happens, and you're like, "Yep, I think I, you know, should have that should have caught my attention." Anything like that? Uh, no, okay. I, I really didn't. Okay. You know, you you always think, "What if?" You yeah, know, what sure. if you get her up here? What if you went down there every weekend to make sure everything's okay? You know, those all come up, you know, after sure. something happens. But nothing that I was really concerned about at the time, no. Okay. All right, so let's move up to May 26th of 2004. Uh, that day, what what do you know about it? What have you been uh, told about it? Now, we, I do know that Deborah was having some sort of back issue. Uh, to your knowledge, was this common? Uh, it was very common because of her lupus had already started to affect. It was already getting to her back to where she was in a lot of pain. So she did have a regular doctor that she seen, but there is periodically she would go to the hospital to be seen and get something for the pain. Mm. Um and that's all caused from the lupus. Yeah. But uh, other than that, um, mm-hmm. now I just lost train of thought. Uh, that, Sorry that's fine. That. That's that's why I'm that's why I'm here. So she so that's why I'm here. So she was having this uh, back issue. You, you make it sound like this was a recurring issue, as many, many people even who don't have lupus have back issues, and it can be, you know, of course, reoccurring. It comes and goes. But this particular yes. day, she was having a back issue, and she decided. That she wanted well, she to, just, yeah, Please. she had been having a lot of pain and decided she wanted to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So she did get a ride to the hospital. From what I was told from Betty, okay, um, took her to Largo Medical Center, which is down off East Bay Drive or right. West Bay Drive, sorry, West Bay, yeah. And they dropped her off, and she, from what I was told, used the phone from the desk and the emergency room there to call home for a ride and. So what time do you believe during the day uh, that they dropped her off? In the evening, during the day, in the morning? What do you think? Uh, it was in the evening. It was in the evening. I so the that. evening yes. is May 26th. And so did 
uh, as far as you know, did she get any medication? Uh, you know, of course, back problems. I don't really don't know how much can be done uh, without surgery or something. Doesn't sound like that was going to happen. But did she just get medication? Did she get a massage? Do you know any sort of the treatment that uh, she got? That I do not know. Uh, All right. When I when she went missing, when I called Margo Medical Center, they couldn't release any information to me. Yeah. Um, you know, because of the HEPA. Right, right, um, right. I don't know if Largo Police Department got any information from them of what she was treated for or not, or was given anything that I'm not aware of. Okay. And do you ha have any idea how long she was at Largo Medical Center? And once again, this is a, this is a place that, just for me, right down the street from where I live. So yeah. how, how, lo how long do you think she was even there? Um, I was told she was dropped off in the evening, probably 6.37, and they said they got a phone call at 11.25, 11.28, something like that, for her to be picked up. Okay. So All right. I would and say six hours, five, six hours. Okay. And would you say that this is normally where she went? Once again, to your knowledge, I know these are very specific questions, but uh, i got to ask um, them. Was she known there? Like, did doctors know her? From previous they would, probably, they would probably know her there or uh, Morton Plant Hospital off Colorado Road. Right, and I know where that is because I can see it right across the water from where I live now. All right. Yeah. This is this is a very unusual situation for me because I cover so many disappearances all around the United States, and these yeah. are locations that uh, I pass all the time. Okay. So, and we should note though that Largo Medical Center. Uh, as far as distance from, you know, New York Avenue where she was living, very close, like a mile, very close. It is very close. Very close. Okay. And so a few hours later, uh, Deborah calls, and and do you really believe that this call happened? Uh, has the police told you they know that this call happened? We know what Betty, you know, and company say, but did the hospital say, yeah, we saw her use the phone? How do we know that she really did call them? We, like I said, I was never told from the police department they followed up on what I told them or okay. not. Okay. So I honestly could not tell you. I can just go by what they told me. Right. And I relayed everything to the police department for mm. them to do their job. Mm. So okay. I was never told. All right. So you've never seen a paper record of um, – her call home. Of course, she'd be using a hospital phone. And the police have never told you. We've verified that she called to get a ride. No, they have not. Okay. So we only have – and I'm not here to undercut Betty or anything. I'm just making sure we understand this. So we only, the only reason we know this call happened is because Betty says so. Correct. All right. So – and what then does Betty say happened next? That she, her and her granddaughter drove there to get her, and she was not there. Hmm. And she didn't know what happened. But Betty didn't tell me right away. Um, I think she right. waited like two yeah. weeks before she reported her to me that she was missing. She hadn't seen her. Yes, and we're going to talk about that. That's something that we're going to, of course, get very in-depth. But what, when you we did find out about this, did Betty ever say – did she go inside to see if Deborah was there? When Deborah wasn't there, did 
they ride around in the car looking for Deborah? Did Betty ever relay that to you or anybody else in your family that she ever did any of that? No, she never did say. All right, so she just says that as far as we know, she left the house, which is only like a mile and a half away. Once again, the people, uh, listeners that want to check that out, I've made a YouTube video for that. She drives just a couple minutes down the Largo Medical Center. Uh, it, it sounds to me, I mean, I'm not saying this happened, but it sounds to me that Betty and her granddaughter show up, Deborah's not there, and then they just turn around and go right back home. Yeah, okay. that's what I thought, too. Okay. She never said, well, you know, we we sat there uh, for a while. We we drove, drove around. She ne- Betty, once again, never said anything like that. I know I've asked you that once, but I just want to be clear on that. She never said no. – she never said she rode around um, looking. No, she never said anything about like you know, that to me. Okay. That she looked around. And nobody else. And I'm sure if she said anything to anybody else in your family, you'd know 16 years later. I'm sure you would. Yes. Because I'm sure Deborah's uh, disappearance has been a uh, topic of conversation over the last 16 years, of course. Correct? Yes, it has. All right. Yes. And nobody who – and I like and like you've explained – you didn't know Betty. Some of your other siblings know her better. Yes. All right. Okay. So what was your – so you've already talked about this two weeks uh, gap there, and we'll get to that in a moment. But being that it was two weeks before Betty uh, said anything about this, did nobody get suspicious that no, none of you had heard from Deborah in a couple weeks? How do you look back at that now? Um, I don't – it's not like she called me every single week or I called down there every week. Mm-hmm. Um, so not hearing from her in two weeks is not something that's normal. Um, mm-hmm. what, it, what made me concerned when they told me she didn't come to – pick up her disability check. She always needed money. Or go see her children, which lived only right around the corner. When they had not seen from her, heard from her in the two weeks or so that she was missing, then I found that was I was very concerned then because I knew something must be wrong or something happened to her. Okay. Because that is something she would always do is make sure she stayed in contact with her children. And at that time, she did not. So... Okay, so we once again, let's just uh, go through this date again. Uh, the date that – and we only have uh, the date, according to Betty, that this is the date, May 26, 2004. Uh, and so that may even be a little bit up in the air, once again, being that she didn't admit Deborah was missing for two weeks. So, so around June 10th, let's say, of 2004 – it finally occurs to at least some people that, hey, haven't heard Deborah in a while. And then Betty, was it Betty who called and said, finally admitted that Deborah never came home after that hospital visit? Or how did that yes. happen? Her, one of her grandsons, or her sons, worked with some family members I knew worked for a company up here in Pasco County, and they worked with them. Um, somehow or another, got hold of my brother-in-law and got 
how she was able to call me at my home and um, tell me who she was and what was going on. And I already knew she was standing over there with someone, but again, like mm-hmm. I said, I did not know who Betty was yeah. until she called me. Yeah. And um, I even asked, it may have been a little longer than two weeks when she finally told me, because I said, why did you wait so long to call me yeah. to tell me that she's missing? And she goes, well, I thought she would come back and pick up her check. And I said, well, it's not like for her, it's not, at nighttime she would always come in and go to bed. So when she didn't show up the first couple of nights, I would find it, I, I asked her, why didn't you think something about it? Either go to her, her Dane's house with Dane at her ex-husband's house to see if she's over there, which yeah. is not too far from where she lives, right down around the corner. Um, she said she didn't know. So I honestly... Mm-hmm. Um, don't know, and um, I even that was one of the first questions I asked her: Why did you wait so long to get a hold of someone to tell us this? Yeah, you know. And once again, and if you way. could, and if yeah. you could say right away, once again, what was her answer? What was Betty's answer to why the heck did you wait two weeks? If she was at the hospital and all this, why did you wait two weeks? What was her answer? She just figured she was out at somebody else's house. That's what she told me. She just figured she was somewhere, but then. She didn't come home to get her check, so that's what made Betty think something was wrong. Mm. She always needed her money. Okay. How did your – once again, you didn't know Betty. Uh, some of your other family members did know Betty. How did the ones who knew her react to her not uh, – being that they knew her and you didn't? Uh, I'm guessing they might have felt a little personally offended that she would wait two weeks. How did – and you don't have to name your siblings' names or anything, but how did they feel yeah. about Debbie waiting two weeks? Uh, Betty. I yeah. think maybe they felt a little concerned why it took them so long to get in touch with someone. Mm-hmm. I think it, uh, my younger siblings wondered that, too. Well, you know, like I said, she knew where her husband lived, her ex-husband. Yeah. And like just a couple minutes down the road there. She could have easily drove over there and said, hey, has she been over here? Have you guys seen her? Um, she could have done something like that. And they even wanted to know why. You know, why didn't they mm-hmm. well, now? So, you know, why wait so long? Okay. Do you, I'm not saying you would be privy to these conversations, but do you think that being that Betty called you, but you don't really know her, did any of these other People in your family give her a hard time? Did they call her and say, hey, what's the deal? Do you, do you know if I, that happened or not? I don't think so. I think I'm the only one that spoke with Betty um, after the fact, after she was missing. I think I'm the only one that actually went and talked to Betty about anything. Why is that? You know, I'm not here to uh, get you in trouble with your siblings, but they're the ones oh, no, no. You know, who vouched for Betty. They're the ones who knew her. You didn't. You admitted that. Well, you said, one, you know. saying this is the way I'm what I'm hearing uh Joe is that 
um, before, uh, you didn't know hardly – maybe you had never even heard about it. You didn't – you admit you didn't know really where um, Deborah was living, You know the people she was living with, but your your siblings did know her. But then after the fact, you're the one who communicates with, more with Betty than anybody else. Exactly, exactly. And I didn't know until the other night that my younger sister, the baby girl, still has them on her, her Facebook. Like the son mm-hmm. and the granddaughter is still on well, – she's still good. friends with them on Facebook. Well, okay. <laughs> that's good. All right. Just so, uh, I have to say it just seems something weird there to me. I'm not – you know, I, I think you're explaining it. I think you're being totally 100% truthful. Um, I I know that if I were to vouch for somebody, yeah, you know, I have I have two brothers and a sister, you know, and I was said, yeah, my uh, sister can go live with you, and then that person, my sister goes missing, and the person doesn't tell me for two weeks. I think I'm going to be a little upset. So oh, you know, upset. yeah, I'm sure you were. I I just think it's interesting these other siblings who knew Betty before. Uh, did not feel as like talking to her uh, after the fact like you did. That's all I'm saying. Okay. So how when did the how did the police get involved? Who files the missing person report? You know, why don't you why don't we talk about that for a little bit? Okay. Well, when I got the phone call, I got home from work one afternoon and I get this phone call and I answer the phone and it was this woman talking to me about it and I said, "What do you mean my sister's missing?" And she says, "Um." She'd been missing, and then she told me the story about taking her to the hospital, dropping her off, and then going back to get her, and she wasn't there. And I said, well, why did it take so long for you to call me and, and you know, let some of us know? Said, well, I didn't know how to get a hold of them mm-hmm. anyway. Okay. Um, I, I said, all right, I'm going to call Largo Police Department because I called Pinnell to find out who I needed to contact about a missing persons report. They said, call Largo, because she lived in the city of Largo there, mm-hmm. off of Miller and then off of New York Avenue there. So I called Largo Police Department and saw the missing person report, and they actually came up to my home. At the time, I was living in Palm Harbor off of US 19, and um, they actually came to my home. Two gentlemen did, and they did an interview with me to find out. I told them where Betty lived. Um, they went to the house. Uh, but I never seen a report or anything. I don't know who they went and visited. Um, but I started doing some things myself. I like I called the hospital about the night she was in there. Um, mm-hmm. They couldn't release any information to me because of the HEPA uh, yeah. protection. Yeah. And then um, I did send them to Social Security Board to find out when the last time her chips was used, her Social Security number was used. Mm-hmm. And then I also gave them that I got the name of the doctor um, that she was seeing. They went and spoke to him to confirm that she did have lupus. And they wanted to know if she had, would have had amnesia because with lupus, apparently, we'll cause you to start. Um, you can have amnesia and get who you are and wind up in a mm-hmm. hospital somewhere, um, a Jane Doe somewhere. So mm-hmm. they did start all that to her doctor's office. Uh, they did call and tell me all that, and they told me they were going to go to Betty's house and speak to the, everybody there. But again, like I said, I never—they never told me anything. And then one day, I get a phone call from them, wanting to know if me and two of her siblings could come in because I'm her. Her and I were biological. Um, we had the same father, same mother. Okay. The other ones had our fathers. 
So B and two of her sons went in and did a DNA. So if any of the Jane Doe's came in on missing persons, if yeah. it matched up, then they would know, you know, hey, we, we found her, you know. Sure. So that's the last thing I, that last time I went to the Largo Police Department, we did that, me and her two mm. sons. Okay. All right, and once again, you said that the police did go talk to Betty and her family, but you don't know what the result of those uh, conversations were. No, I right, do not. And, and they have no, they have no. Uh, they it would be nice if they told you, but most of the time, uh, police departments are not going to do that. Um, yeah. As far as the hospital goes, I think you bring up a good point about the HIPAA laws. Uh, sometimes they do get in the way of missing persons cases. There's no denying that. But what about um, did the police uh, were the police able to did they look into any video? Of course, hospitals usually have video cameras all over the place. Did they ever try to collect any video um, showing uh, Deborah leaving anything like that? That I do not know. But I did call the hospital, and it might have been about a month now that I think about it, mm-hmm. before Betty told us that she was missing, closer to a month, because I called Largo Police, I mean, Largo Medical Center, and I spoke to someone in records, and I asked them, did they hold videos of the surroundings around the ER, because she would have came out of the emergency, yeah. where she said she was. They said they only hold them for like two weeks. Mm-hmm. Or a month or something like that. So they said at that date that I gave them, it would have already been gone, erased off, you know. Um, but I did call them, but okay. I don't know if Fargo Police Department got there before me and even, you know, before I did and got anything, so, but they hadn't mm. told me. Okay. So what you're saying is by the time Betty let your family know that Deborah never came home that night, it was pretty much past the, the time when the the hospital would have saved any video. It would have been long gone. Um, I had, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's what they told me. That's what the Largo, I mean, medical center told me, Largo Medical Center. Okay. I do remember that now, so. Okay. All right. And, all right, so that's not going to be uh, any help there either, um, but I would be inclined to believe that at some point they did have video uh, of Deborah there, whether they it's could have helped. We don't know. Maybe, but we've talked about video and some disappearances, and it's not helpful at all, so we just don't know. Uh, you, yeah. We've already established that at the time that uh, Deborah did not have a cell phone. No, she did not. All right, so there's no help there. Uh, we talked about the hospital, um, HIPAA laws, video. Uh, did you ever run into anybody who even remembered her when she when you were calling yourself? Of course, they can't tell you any medical information, but uh, did anybody that you talked to remember seeing her there walking out? Uh, how many times she used the phone, anything like that? No, nobody. Um, the only time somebody told us anything about her is when we were hanging up flyers around the area down there. I made mm. a, um, a flyer and went and had a bunch of them printed out. And mm. me and a bunch of other people went out and we were putting them all over Largo, Clearwater area down that way. So well, in, mostly Largo. So in Largo East Bay? Central. Yeah, in East Bay yeah, area? We everywhere. Yes. East Bay. Okay, so you were out there. But nobody at the hospital that you would believe. Uh, they, you know, we're, we'll talk about you know so, something that you heard. But anybody at the hospital, a nurse, a secretary, maybe somebody that works in one of the shops, you never encountered anybody who actually saw Deborah that night. I. No. 
police may have, I don't know. But they did go, uh, I know the detective did look into her new ID. I didn't have a picture on her. So she had gotten an updated ID, Florida ID, of uh, that was May, April, mm-hmm. a month before she went missing. So what she did, all her Florida ID, her driver's license, he sent me copies of all the pictures all the way up to so he could have had a picture to show them down there, you know, have, did you see this girl here, which, you know, in the emergency room, but that would be all in their records. Okay. All right. So once again, um, we're just taking Betty's word. Once again, I'm not saying Betty's lying, but we just, all we have is Betty's word that uh, Deborah called her. There's nobody at the hospital who could verify that, and there's no phone records of that. Correct. Okay. Let's move on to this. You brought up the Social Security checks a few times. Um, you told me that Betty saved all of them that went to her house. How did that? How did you find out about that? Well, when I went down there, when I first met her, she had the one check in her hand. And she wanted me to take it. And I said, no, you hold on to it because it came to this address. And if she comes back, she's going to want her money. You know, she'll want her check. I said, so you hold on to it here. And if she comes home, give me a call. So Betty said, okay. So then another month went by and another month went by. You know, again, I was being in contact with Betty to see if she would even come back for them. Um, She never came back for them. So I went down there again to visit with Betty. And um, Mm -hmm. Betty, we called the Social Security Board, and they did say you can hold on to the checks for one year. If she does not come back in a year, to the um, Social Security Board. So that's what happened. Um, At one point, Betty did ask me to just take them and go open a savings account with them. And I said, no, Mm -hmm. you don't need her signature, and I'm not opening nobody's checks. I'm not doing nothing. That's right. So Betty held on to them. So me and my sister's daughter went down there. By this time, it's been a year that she's been missing. I took her daughter, not my daughter, her daughter, my sister's daughter. We went down there, and I had told Betty on the phone, um, go ahead and go turn them in to Social Security Board. So her and her granddaughter took to the Social Security Board. I said, do me a favor, tell them to make copies of each of them and have them notarized it, you know, notarized mm-hmm. That proves that you turned them in so nothing can ever come back on you or me or anybody else. Mm-hmm. Betty did exactly what I asked her to do because I went there, her, me and her daughter, and Betty showed me that she had, they had them all stapled together. Um, me and Dana sat there and we looked at them. She turned all of them in and it was sealed, um, notarized by the Social Security Board of Pinellas County. Mm-hmm. So I know for a fact those were turned in because I did see that. Um, mm-hmm. So no other check ever came out to the house, so they stopped them after that one year. So I do know that was turned in. Wish now that I think back at it, I wish I would have took that paper. Then I could have had it here in a file at my own home, and I would have had that. But, um, again, I let Betty keep it because she's the one that turned them in and, but she did exactly how I told her to do it because I sat there and read, looked at it and mm. turned them all in. All right. So I guess what we're saying here is if there was some sort of conspiracy to make 
Deborah disappeared to collect her social security checks. It certainly wasn't that because she saved all of them and never cashed yes. one of them. She gave every one of them Not to one. you, handled it just like the law said she should. Yes, exactly. I do know that for a fact. Okay. All right, let's move on to this. What about, uh, of course, Deborah's living there. What about Deborah's stuff? What happened to it? Um, who collected it? And once you did collect everything, uh, was everything there? Was there anything missing? Well, at the time, um, nobody collected it. I found out recently, not too recently, one um, of her sons were supposed to go there and get it, um, but he didn't. So I think they just got rid of it. I never took it because I always, I think, just hoped that she would come back one day and get it all. You know, because mm-hmm. she still had her mother's funeral in with her stuff. So I didn't want, you know, with everything she's been through, I didn't want to take all her stuff. And then her come back and everything would just upset her more. So I was there. Um, I told her sons to go get it. And after all these stirs, I thought they went and got it all, but apparently they did not. I guess that he just got rid of it. Huh. So she kept the Social Security checks for a year, but she got rid of Deborah's stuff and kind of just threw it out, or what? I don't think right away. I think after a mm. year or so, yeah. Okay. I do so, all right. So yeah. she kept the checks, and she might have kept Deborah's stuff there, and then she got rid of it on her own, to the best of your knowledge. Yeah, because I told her, I did tell Betty at the time not to release it to anyone else other than one of her sons mm-hmm. would come and get it. And they did not go and get it, so. Okay. Let's move on to this. Now, you did say you put up some flyers. Uh, could you, um, with, with the, I'm guessing these flyers were posted right around where Largo Medical Center is. How far would you say you went out from Largo Center? How many blocks? How many miles? Uh, well, what would we you went say? from where she lived, from Miller Avenue, then down one of, I think it's two more streets down, it was New York Avenue where she lived. Mm-hmm. So we went from, not Miller, I would say from Belcher, no, not Belcher, Bel Air, Bel Air Road, okay. all the way to East Bay Drive, West Bay Drive. Um, mm-hmm. Down all the way down Alternate 19, down Missouri Avenue, and then back up East Bay Drive the whole vicinity where she would be living. We taped them in windows, cell phone poles, everywhere. Okay. Now, you have a story, uh, at least one story, while you were near a bus stop or something, somebody saw you posting a flyer, and very quickly, could you just uh, say what this this person said to you while you were doing this? Yes, when well, when we were handing out the flyers, um, it, it was said to my younger brother and um, a couple, my daughter, my my biological daughter, and my niece. They were on one side coming up Missouri Avenue, going to meet us at the end down there. There was a bus stop on East Bay Drive, and um, when they were posting them in there on the bus stop area, a gentleman came up and said, "Hey, I know her. Her nickname was Nika." That's what we called her, Nika, N-E-C-K-A. Mm-hmm. Um, they said, I know her. And um, they said, what do you mean you know her? And the guy goes, yeah, she's hanging out over off of, um, I forgot the name of the street, so I'm sorry for that. But uh, right. at this drug dealer's house, Uzi. 
And we said, what? So I, by the time this happened, they come on up to East Bay Drive where we were. We kind of met in the middle down there at the end where um, uh, Largo Medical Center was. Because they, like I said, they went up one direction. We came around the other direction. Um, I had a couple of, you know, teens doing it. And um, they said, yeah. So I said, okay, hang tight right there. Let me call the detective. So um, we picked up everybody, and I called the detective, and I told them what they told us. And the detective says, do not go to this house. Mm-hmm. He was a well-known drug dealer in Pinellas County. Okay. He goes, do not go to their house. I said, they told us where you live. And they said, no, do not go there. Right. I even offered to go there. I should have fly around saying, hey, if you we're knocking on doors looking for my sister, you know, if you ever seen her. They encouraged me to not go there. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, I won't, I won't go there, but are you going to be the one going there? And she said, yes. So they said, we're no, we know we had him picked up. He's in um, Pinellas County Jail. He said, let us get out there and try to catch him before he bails out. So now the detective told me this. They, by the time they got there, he had already bailed out of jail. And to my knowledge, they have not seen him. He ran. So um, they haven't seen him anymore from what the last I heard. But they did speak with a girl that she was running around with was this Lisa Russell girl. Okay. They spoke with her, and she did confirm that she was hanging out over at their house, that he would never harm her because he always looked out for her and took care of her. When you say her, so, you mean Deborah. We don't want to. We don't want to. Yeah, we don't want to use too many pronouns sorry. here. That's uh, all right. Yeah, We've got sorry. a lot of people here. So what you're saying is uh, you were uh, putting these flyers up. Somebody comes up to you. Somebody walking the street says, "Hey, I know this uh, girl. This your sister Deborah. She goes by a nickname Nika." Yes. Okay. And that uh, this person believed that that Deborah was over at this drug dealer's house. You call the police. They tell you not to go over there. Uh, because it's dangerous, which is exactly what the police should have told you. And that yeah. guy was in jail, but then before they could get to him, he bailed out of jail. And are you telling me in the last 16 years they have not been able to track this guy down? Uh, from my knowledge. From my knowledge, yeah. Okay. Any proof uh, that um, Deborah was ever at this guy's house besides what this Lisa Russell woman said? Um. From what Lisa Russell says, or this gentleman that was yeah. at the bus stop, nothing. Yeah. I have no yeah, proof. Okay. All right. So maybe there's something to this, uh, being that they seemingly knew her nickname. That's what I thought when the guy knew. He described her and everything mm-hmm. to them, and he goes, "Yeah, she goes before he he just saw the picture. Mm-hmm. He goes, yeah, she went by a nickname Nika, and I said yes, and what well, we all said yes, but um." He said, yeah, she'd been hanging out over there, So, which wasn't too far from where she was, um, living on New York Avenue, leading to get to the house. Okay. And, um, but like I said, Lisa confirmed that she had been over there and that he, she assured them that Largo Police he would not hurt her, my sister Deborah, because he felt bad for her and he took care of her. Right, well. So I don't okay. know exactly what he meant by that or she meant by that. I have no clue. Uh, I yeah, just know the, what they the, told me. Yeah, the good-hearted drug dealer. Yeah, the good-hearted drug dealer. Not to put too fine a point on it, but yeah, the good-hearted yeah. drug dealer. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure what to make of that, but maybe there's something to it, being that this person did know 
Deborah's nickname, unless the nickname was on the piece of paper. Was her nickname on that flyer that you were handing out? Is there any other way that somebody um, would know that Deborah's nickname was I Nico? I think I did put it in parentheses. Yeah, I do think okay, I did. Okay, well then this could have all been just manufactured. Um, you know, well, now, he he's given what got me there. I thought mm-hmm. about that too. Maybe you read it, but he told us Uzi's name and where mm-hmm. the house was. Mm-hmm. And when the Largo Police Department spoke to Lisa Russell, which was in Pass Pinellas County Sheriff's Department jail, yeah. She confirmed it. So mm-hmm. I thought, well, he had to have been telling the truth then. If she confirmed that she'd been over there, because she was a well-known prostitute, mm-hmm. that my sister had been over there, then I figured the guy knew what he was talking about then, you know. I, I have to admit, uh, Joe, uh, I'm not so sure. Uh, we hear a lot about – we hear a lot of stories, especially in dis- – I'm not saying this disappearance – Concerns drugs, I don't believe it does, but in disappearances where drugs play a much more prominent part, where the missing person did have a a severe addiction and everything else, it's amazing how people under the influence of drugs can tell lies that seemingly really, 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 really sound true. So I'm not sure I believe that or not, but I thought we needed to cover it because it was something that you experienced. Maybe it's true. Listeners will make uh um their own decision regarding all of this now i'm not going to i'm not going to get too much into this i will just say for a second the listeners should know that i have looked up some of the people in betty's family and they at least two of them uh two of the men have extensive criminal records nothing violent a lot of car stuff and and things like that but there were some crack charges some cocaine uh, charges and things like that. I'm just going to leave it at that. And this is information, uh, Joe, that you know I've already sent you, even though I don't think you've taken a look at it yet. Okay. Sorry. Oh, that's that's fine. That's you get to it when you can get to it. Um, has Betty? When you spoke to Betty, did she ever give you her opinion as to being that seemingly Deborah called her to go pick Deborah up? And Deborah wasn't there. Did Betty ever give her own opinion as to what she thought happened to Deborah? I mean, I, maybe after a week she's thinking she also with you know she's off with friends. But then um, two weeks, a month, you know something's you know up here. Did Betty ever give you uh, an opinion? No, she never gave me an opinion. Um, she just told me she didn't know exactly. She did not know what happened. It wasn't like for her to call for a ride, and because mm-hmm. Betty would give it to the doctor's office and then pick her back up from the doctor's mm-hmm. office when she went to her regular doctor. Yeah. So Betty felt that when, if she called her, then she was there waiting for her. So she doesn't know exactly. She did not ever concern to me what she thought happened. She didn't think that she walked off or anything because it was late at night, and um, so she said mm-hmm. she didn't think she woke off, she think maybe somebody offered her a ride or something, but it wasn't like for her to get into a car with someone that she didn't know. Right. So. Right. Well, I, I agree with you. You know, uh, probably as we're talking here, and I think I've even passed you, this along to you, Joe, that we have a, a disappearance that we covered uh, back in 2017 that's similar to this, the disappearance of Shane Fell, where he got into a car wreck, and he called his brother to come pick him up. And his brother got there in about 20 minutes, and Shane wasn't there. And that's a disappearance that is still unsolved. It's not quite as old as uh, Deborah's is, 
But yeah. um, so we've at least covered one disappearance like that, where somebody calls somebody to pick some up and pick the person up, and the person's not there. It was kind of like in this situation with Crystal Morris and another disappearance we covered that's been solved. It turns out that she just walked away and then um, seemingly died of natural causes in a woods not far from where she worked, even though she called somebody to come pick her up. Um, so we we've had a, we've encountered this uh, a few times uh, with people calling people and then not being there when the person shows up. In the last 15 years, when you've talked to the police, have they ever offered up their own opinion as to theory? We don't do theories. My theory is your theories, but we'll talk to police theories because they're responsible. Um, they ever given you a theory as to what they thought happened? Um, I actually, to be honest with you, your son got out of a program that he was in. He has been the one that stayed in contact with Largo Police mm -hmm. Department. Okay. So I the backseat and let him deal with it. Yeah. And then he would call me and tell me they have no um, leads. And they also told him the last time him and I him and I would talk about it. And he said, you know, they said her name her name is well known. Um, they always get hit that people think they found her and they when they go in to look to see if the DNA matches or anything, it wasn't a match. Mm -hmm. So he said her there are dispatchers there at the Largo Police Department known her name is still known with them, he's they said. So, um, like I said, her youngest son's been the one that stays in touch with them. But I am gonna call right now. I like I said, I took the back seat on it once he got out and took over. Right. Okay. And I've still not talked to him, by the way. Joe, um, we're oh, doing. Still never no, that's all right. Nope. Uh, no, I, I'm here to serve. So anywhere he wants to call, uh, he can. We're doing this disappearance on September 27th, 2020. I'm expecting this episode to come out on October 2nd. So we do have some days there. If he'd like to call me, you know, and we could okay. talk. You know, um, we still have some time that he could do that. If he'd like his opinions, his thoughts, anything that he knows to in be included in the episode, I'd like to do that if he could reach me. Okay. All right. I so will. the police. All right, so police, uh, as is most of the time, uh, a lot of times they don't have theories, and they've got a, after all this time they have a lot of other things to do. Anyway, that's not to be cold, but they're responsible for the crimes that happened today, and not just Correct. the ones that happened you know happened 16 years ago. Maybe you can give the listeners an idea of this. How far do you think the drug dealer's house was from the Largo Medical Center? Do you even know? Um. A little bit closer than New York Avenue, actually. Is it? Closer than that, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's Rosary. Um, JJ's bar was on the corner. I think that's... Is it Rosary? There's a Rosary Drive. Yeah, there's a Rosary Road. I think it's a Rosary Road that goes all the way out to Missouri Avenue. If you went, if you made a right on Rosary coming from Largo Medical Center, it was the first... At each turn, so pretty close, a lot closer than going on down Missouri Avenue or okay. Colorado Road to New York Avenue. Okay. Still a little, still hard to understand why she'd call Betty though, and then start walking. Right? A little hard to understand. Correct. Yes. A little hard to understand. And we also have to remember, you said that I'm not saying that you're lying, but you said that uh, Deborah was not into drugs, so I'm concerned on why she was hanging out if she really did know this drug dealer. I'm still up in the air about that, why she would even know this guy. You know, 
I was still up in the air about that myself. Um, mm -hmm. it's, to the best of my knowledge, I did not know. I don't think she was on drugs, not like recreational ones. Um, okay. I don't know why she would be there. That I don't know. Okay. I was never aware of it until that came out when we were hanging up the flyers. Um, okay. The Lisa Russell girl, my younger siblings know who she is. I mm -hmm. never met her before, and I've never mm -hmm. talked to her before. So I don't know. Maybe that's something I should have followed up on myself to find out exactly what was going on and where and what and when. Um, again, I would not to best my knowledge, I wouldn't think she was on. Right. I don't even know why she'd be there. <laughs> so. Right, okay. What does, uh, being that I've not spoken to him yet, what do you think uh, Deborah's son's opinion is on this this drug dealer angle to all this? Is something this something that he buys into? Does he believe it or, or not? What would you say? I really don't know. I okay. really don't know. Okay. Uh, let me ask you this. Um, anyone else besides Betty, that Deborah could have called to come pick her up. Let's just say, for example, not to theorize too much, but let's say that uh, Deborah calls Betty and Betty says, yeah, I can come pick you up, but it's going to be an hour. Is there anybody else that you think Deborah would have called to come pick her up that could get there faster than that? I don't know. I don't think so. No. Okay. What's this been like uh, the last uh, 16 years, uh, Joe? You know, you have a, a bunch of siblings, uh, so there's a lot of people who care about finding Deborah and figuring out what happened to her. It is uh, unusual circumstances, even in my world. Uh, what's this all been like? Um, on my personal self, it's very emotional. I mean, there's not a... I'm going to cry now, but there's not a day where I don't think about it, you know? Mm-hmm. If I see a picture of her, then I cry. And I don't know, it's just been a very emotional roller coaster, mm -hmm. not knowing. I mean, I feel yeah. in my heart that something bad happened, mm -hmm. and she's just never been found. Because I know how close she was to her kids. I know she would have stayed in touch with them. And she always knew her husband was, he was raised in the same house they lived in. Where mm -hmm. he said if she ever needed anything. So I know she would have went and found her way back there. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you know if the police, being that you've brought up uh, exes and husbands and uh, fathers of children, do you know if the police spoke to all of these guys? Obviously, a lot of times they're very good suspects in disappearances. Do you know if the police have uh, talked to all of them? I don't know. Like I said, they never told me anything. So. <clears throat> okay. All right. And uh, when, uh, like you said, it's one of, uh, of course, Deborah's sons that you said is, you know, the, the kind of the point person on this now. Um, you know, when did he kind of take on that, that leadership role in all of this? Has this been for a while? Well, for or a week, I would say, yeah, it's been for a while. Mm. He got out of a program. Um, he had a problem with not going to school, skipping school. So they, um, instead of putting my, because back in the day, if your kids didn't go to school, they arrest you, you know, yeah. it's up to your parents to get your kids to school. Um, they put him in a program. 
And when he got out of the program, he was probably, he took over when he become of age. Um, like I said, I stepped back and let him take the lead because he, he very, very close to his mother was at that time. And she never showed up to see him, and we knew then something was definitely wrong. Um, but, yeah, he does try to stay in contact with them and see if there's any new leads. Or He knows that a new detective took over. He knows her name. It's a lady detective that's in charge of missing persons. So he knows her name and stuff like that because he stays in contact with them. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he's the point person, and uh, as yeah. I've seen on uh, these disappearances that get older, you know, it you know sometimes these disappearances are handed off from one generation to the next. You know, yeah. parents have a child that goes missing, and uh, if you know the child isn't found in a certain amount of time, the parents get old, and then the siblings they get old enough uh, to take it on to themselves. You know, to yeah. take you know, and they take the reins of making sure nobody forgets that. A little girl or a little boy uh, went missing, or even in this case, uh, you know, a grown woman whose siblings were in charge of it, and now her son, um, you know, one of her sons is, you know, doing what he can to figure out what happened to his mother. So it's been difficult. Um, Do you have any, uh, like, a Facebook page or anything like that? I know she is on NamUs, although. Uh, Deborah, I don't do not believe that her profile is on the Charlie Project, but um, do you have a Facebook page or anything like that set up for Deborah? No, we did not. Okay, well, that's my, something you might think of. You know, to raise that would certainly raise the profile of her disappearance. It'd make it more likely that people happen upon her name. You know, if they're doing any searches and pop up in Google searches and things like that. If you uh-huh. if you could you know start something like that, that's totally your choice. Of course. Yeah, I you, can do that. You know, that's the new uh, picture that I have of her on there. Yeah, um, because once you start a page like that, sometimes it does bring some you know kooks and you know all sorts of different types of people out. So you always have to uh, you, you know be careful with that. But I, I think most of the disappearances that we cover you know do have um, Facebook pages. Yeah. Okay. Um, any last words before we complete this interview, Joe? Um, no last words. Um, I just remembered something. Go ahead. She has she has another son, um, the second oldest boy. Sure. Um, was in jail for a while and he mm-hmm. got out. He came and saw me, um I would say like two months ago, three months ago. Oh. And he was he still lives at dad's house. Um he said he was backing out of the driveway, and a man pulled up in a truck and came to him and said, Hey, he knew my sister, Deborah, and her husband, Dane, that lived in the house there. He goes, um, Your mom is still missing. He goes, I, I got some news that these, he called them black guys over here in this garage, know something about her disappearance. He goes, I'm going to go look. And I said, are you serious? This guy just out of the blue came and told you this? Yeah. He said, yes. And he goes, well, don't you know, I'm going to see what I can do. Well, from what my nephew told me, like, again, seriously, and I just now remember this. I don't know what made me think of this. Mm-hmm. Um, that man's now missing. 
And he told me, that's someone I should have him call you. because. So one of Deborah's sons was in a um, – what you're saying is one of Deborah's sons was in his driveway. A guy comes up and suspects that two other guys in the neighborhood could have something to do when, with Deborah's disappearance, correct? Correct, which is some uh, garages across the street from where his dad lives. Okay. Um, and what's like, the uh, – Big buildings that you can rent, the garages – Okay. And what? when did this happen? I would say probably three months ago or more. He's yeah. claiming that it just happened three months ago. Yes. Even, okay. Even though the disappearance was 16 years ago. Yes. Okay. And then what your her son is also saying then is the guy that he talked to also went missing now. Yes. He spoke with his his daughter. All right. Well, I would like to certainly get that guy's name who is missing, so I could look into that for myself. Uh, I'm yeah. Gonna, yeah. I, I don't know what to think of that. It sounds a little fishy to me, but okay. If that's what happened, that's what happened. All right. Well, yeah. Well, he called me and asked me if I knew this guy's name, and I said mm. no. I don't know his name. Again, I left at a young age from down that area. And I, he said, well, my mom knew him, and so did my dad, and he knew my mom and dad. I said, well, mm. your parents had – your mom and dad had more different friends than I had growing up, so they may have known him. I don't know, so. Okay. All right. Well, I'd certainly – I'll certainly talk to either of – or both of Deborah's sons about whatever they want to say. Uh, I just hope we yeah. can talk to them before uh, this comes out on October 2nd. Okay. All right. Let me um, – Hold on. I'll give him a tip. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, anything else you'd like to say before this uh, interview is over, Joe? Uh, no. Okay. Thank you. Covered it. Okay. Well, I appreciate you being on this episode of Unfound. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And that was my interview with Joe Bowman, sister of Deborah Bowman. I thank her for joining me and all of you on the program. For this disappearance, I've done a YouTube video that you can now find on the Unfound podcast channel. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, Unfound has covered at least two disappearances like Deborah's. Shane Fell, who disappeared from Harahan, Louisiana, after calling his brother after getting into a car wreck on a road right next to the Mississippi River. Shane's case is still unsolved although a popular theory is that he ended up in the river. Somehow. The other disappearance is Crystal Morrison's. Hers is solved. The answer to it was that Crystal wandered off after calling someone to pick her up from work. Surveyors found her on private property in the woods, about a mile from where she was last seen. The belief is that Crystal was much more ill than she realized and she was overcome by heat stroke. So, can those two similar disappearances help us regarding Deborah's case? Frankly, I don't think so. Why? With Shane's, if we are to believe he went into the Mississippi River, even though there's no proof of that, there are no major bodies of water near where Deborah disappeared. Yes, a few canals and very small ponds. But had she gone into one of them after deciding to walk home herself, she would have been found by now. And you may ask, but Ed, 
the Gulf of Mexico. Even if she ended up in it, which is a few miles away, she would have been found by now. With crystals, sure, maybe Deborah walked off and ended up collapsing somewhere near the medical center. The problem with that is where Deborah disappeared is much more industrialized and populated than where Crystal disappeared. There aren't acres and acres of forest in the Largo area, like there are in Concord, North Carolina. So although Deborah surely could have walked off like Crystal, it doesn't seem Deborah could have met with the same end as Crystal. I would also add that Crystal's ride took 20 minutes, 30 minutes to get to her work, whereas Deborah's only would have taken less than five. So where could Deborah have gone that quickly? That brings us to Betty. The tough part is no one can seriously think a 60-something-year-old female really did anything to Deborah, let alone kill her. Surely not. But Betty never said a word about trying to find Deborah that night. Betty never told Deborah's family she was missing until two weeks later. Betty never offered up any theory of her own on what could have happened to Deborah. Yep, all very suspicious. However, Betty also kept all of Deborah's social security checks. She didn't cash any of them. She gave them all to Deborah's family. The money went into a bank account. Yep, weird and contradictory. Can Betty's actions be explained innocently? They certainly can, but I'm not sure we have enough facts to do so. Yet, here's what I think. Even though Betty died several years ago, I believe the answers to Deborah's disappearance are still right here, in my town. I'll leave the theorizing up to you. And that's the program. If you found it informative, please go to the app that you use to listen to Unfound and give this podcast a nice review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Densel, and you've been listening to Unfound.